Hi, my name is Mary McDonald, and I am an educator and the program delivery lead at Lichen. I am very excited to share with you the first episode of the Root and Stem podcast, a podcast devoted to diverse issues and stories in STEAM education. I am a kindergarten teacher at Eliza Van Bibber School in Pelly Crossing, Yukon. Um, it's a very small community of about maybe 500 people max. Hi, my name is Wendy Wright. Uh, I am an educator in Ontario, uh, just outside of Toronto. I work at a French immersion school. I teach kindergarten through to grade six. My name is Candace, and I also am teaching out of York Region uh, in Ontario. And I am a secondary school teacher. I teach grades 9 to 12, um, and I'm actually the current head of our History and Social Sciences Department. For many educators, this has been a turbulent school year. According to the Association of Canadian Deans of Education, Teachers play a key role in physical safety and mental health during the pandemic. They communicate measures that prevent the spread of the virus and ensure that learners are supported. In doing so, educators, myself included, were forced to rethink how to use technology in meaningful ways that help keep communities safe, healthy, and engaged. Not all schools across the country are closed, and for our first episode, we wanted to get on the ground and find out how teachers in different geographies are dealing with education in a pandemic. Emma Houston in Pelly Crossing, Yukon, has been teaching in class, following COVID health and safety protocols since fall, while Wendy and Candice in Ontario have transitioned to a fully virtual model just this December. It takes a long time to get your head around it. I feel as though we're all just kind of saying it out loud so that we can follow along with what we're supposed to be doing. And then, of course, it changes all over again. So, Trying not to move too much because it feels like quicksand and we might fall through. Yes, just as everyone gets yes. used to it. Yeah, exactly. Wendy, you've been teaching virtually for many months now. How has that been for you? Well, we ran the same model. When we first went back in September, we were in the school. So we've just been virtual since December. Uh, since following the uh, the um, winter break. Okay. But still, attendance is hit and miss. So it's like, do I start a new unit? And then when you do start something, you're missing seven students. Three might pop in the next day. So you're trying to catch them up. You're trying to continue with your lessons. And then the four who haven't been there for two days all of a sudden show up. And then you're missing six other ones. Mm. Um you just go on and you welcome the kids and you look to see what's there and you adjust as you go. <laughs> I was just going to say it's similar in, um, in our situation where, um, you know, if they've been, if they've been absent for, uh, if a student has been absent for a few weeks and then they come in, um, you know, I have to, it feels, instead of feeling frustrated, like, okay, now I need to uh, reassess this child you know, impl- I have to kind of uh, include include them when I was expecting them not to be here because they've been absent for so long. Um, 
it's instead of feeling frustrated with that, I've kind of it's I'm kind of just at the point now where I'm like, okay, I'm really happy they're here, and all the other students are really happy they're here, and we just have to accept it that this is just a different school year, and really what school is about right now, I think, is, I mean, obviously the learning is a factor, but like it's really just about them getting to see their friends when they are able to, and when their parents are letting them go to school. You know what I mean? So. I have had, you know, kids absent for weeks and then they show up and they're like, hey, like they have like I saw them yesterday. I'm like, hey, guys, welcome back. Um, So, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it's just I think it's it's just expected to be a different year. And um, that's kind of how you have to react in those situations. Just go with the flow, totally going with the flow. Mm hmm. And Candice, you've been preparing for successful online environments for years now before the pandemic. Can you talk about your work? Yes. So I I was fortunate that I had started a pilot project in my classroom, I'm going to say about three years ago, where I was looking at um, moving to a one-to-one model, which would be uh, one device for each student. And so because of that, I had already kind of started to lay the groundwork. Well, not lay the groundwork. I had been using Google Classroom and uh, online management systems and um, different forms of assessment uh digitally with my students, even though they were with me in person in class. So for me, I I found that I wasn't so stressed when, I mean, yes, I was stressed, but not in terms of how I was going to deliver my program when we switched to virtual because I, I had already been doing that. But I will say just in terms of when we were together in person, I also had my classroom set up as a modern learning classroom. So I had couches, I had a coffee table, my desks were in a big horseshoe. And because I teach um, social sciences, geography and, and history, a lot of my classrooms or classes were group discussions and breakout groups and uh, working together in inquiry lessons. and. And when September started and we had to take out the couches and out the carpets and put the desks in rows, it was very, very hard for me to get my head around that. And what I was seeing was kids were coming to school to be with me for two and a half hours and they weren't talking to each other because they were in rows and they were just kind of isolated. And so I was constantly trying to encourage these 15 and 16 year olds, yes, distance, but please also talk to each other and engage. And uh, so it's been hard to adjust my practice to keep them safe, to make sure we're distancing, but also not lose that level of engagement when we're in person. And it almost was easier to create it digitally and virtually than to go back into the space and be in rows. And it sounds weird because you'd want to see them, of course, in person, but I've, I've really had to get my head around, how do I make it fun while still teaching in rows? <laughs> Know that just to add on to that with younger kids, I like letting them come into either the WebEx or the Google Classroom and having my mic and my video off so that I just listen to them chatting with each other as they come in. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's quite fun. You know, give them five, seven, ten minutes and then we get going with what we need to do. Yeah, just to give them a, a chance to touch it, touch base with one another and talk about things that doesn't have to always be curriculum related or even COVID related. I think it's so important um, just to give them that open air time like because that's what they would be doing if they were in person. They would they would get off task and, and chat to one another and that's important part of learning too, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, just point in fact, today I somehow exited myself out of the Google Classroom 
and the kids when I came back it was like they were having a party so it was like okay my mute everybody mute oh my god you're giving me a headache like I was gone 30 seconds and they were having a party yeah and these are grade uh, one kids so they clued in really quickly that I wasn't it there. happens in high school too Mary it's happened to me a few times too I come back it? in after doing a breakout room and they're all talking about Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways that's kind of good to hear actually aside from the physical environment what's different about teaching virtually does it change your overall approach to educating I'm hearing some challenges from Candice uh, about teaching the way she wants to in a distanced environment how about the virtual environment how has that impacted your teaching approach well having just with everything that's happened I've been completely removed from what I normally do and I don't know I'm I'm struggling a little bit with just making the teaching interactive because all the kids are muted so that you can get across what you want to get across and then you're asking questions but if too many are mute then you can't hear anybody and so I'm finding that interesting to navigate um and just, it's been a whole new learning curve for me. With students that young, are they comfortable using the technology? The kids are not doing too bad. The kids are doing pretty good. I'm, yeah. yeah. They, they adapt and they learn and they figure things out quicker than we do. They're not, I don't think they, it's not their preferred place to be. They'd rather be in the classroom and playing with their friends. But they're adapting, they're adjusting, and they're making mm -hmm. it work. Mm -hmm. Candice, how have you, how has it impacted your teaching? Have you found it, I mean, other than the um, challenges you described about the physical environment and trying to add in that same level of interaction between them, um, in the virtual environment, mm -hmm. has it approached, has it affected your overall approach mm -hmm. to teaching? Well, I think there's, there's been two kind of big, big uh, issues or conversations that have emerged since moving to teaching virtually. And the first, and, it, and it's not certainly not just with my, my learners, but school-wide and if not board-wide, the first one being digital equity. There's a lot of um, challenges that have emerged that perhaps we weren't aware of before or maybe didn't play such a large role before. So what we're finding now is that there's a, a wide gap between those who have access to technology and reliable internet. And um, we have several students who are, are sharing um, devices amongst siblings or our board has made devices available to be on loan, but even still, uh, internet can be a challenge for them. So that's that has been one thing that has actually informed my practice in terms of being mindful about recording lessons so that if students aren't able to join me at a certain time, they're able to access that content later on. Uh, making sure that the documents that I create for them to work on are available offline. So when they're close to internet, um, you know, maybe if they're going to uh, a parking lot of a Tim Hortons and they're using internet there, sadly enough, that is the case for some, um, that they're able to download that document and then go home and work on it offline. So it, it's taught me to be more mindful about about how I can make it as accessible as possible within the parameters that we're working with. And then the other thing that really I think, which we've kind of talked about already, is, is making things engaging for our students and making it new. And I think a lot of my colleagues are struggling with 
how do I move beyond just the lecture-based model? Certainly in, in secondary, that happens a lot where it's, it's um, you know, sage on the stage where, where teachers are talking and the, the kids are just listening and there's not a lot of interaction. And I think that's happening, unfortunately, a lot because teachers aren't sure where to go and how to, to bring back that level of engagement now that they're virtual. And um, there's one really helpful thing that I've, I've found, and I can't take credit for it, it comes from um, Esther Park. And she, she kind of outlined that our lessons should uh, work in three levels or three areas of engagement. And the first is student to student, so providing uh, opportunities for students to engage with one another, just like we talked about even the first seven minutes of class when they're chatting. Mm-hmm. But I think this could be done in in breakout rooms and group activities. So that's the first, student to student. The second then is student to content. So giving them articles or videos or games or whatever is age appropriate for our learners, but giving them a chance to interact with content. And then the Mm -hmm. third is student to teacher. And I think that's that's where a lot of us right now, I would guess, are, are focusing student to teacher. But we need to look mm-hmm. for opportunities for student to content and student to student as well. And I think the longer we do this, uh, I'm hoping more of us are going to do it because that's what's natural. That's what we do in our classroom face to face. We do all of those great things. It's just finding mm-hmm. ways to do it online is is the challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. And again, with that, I think the the student-to-student, easier with older students, because you can send them off into a breakout room and be somewhat assured that they're probably going to at least hit on the content you've asked them to hit on Mm -hmm. for a little bit of the time. Whereas with younger students, hard to send them off without somebody in there with them. Um, So if you are lucky enough to have a co-teacher, that might work. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, st- I am struggling with that, mm-hmm. allowing conversation and collaboration mm-hmm. between the students. That's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Can we talk more about the digital disparity that Candace has noticed and, um, has anyone else noticed this? I haven't, obviously we're, we're in school right now here in the Yukon, but I know that that is, um, a major barrier here and when schools were closed mm-hmm. from March onward mm-hmm. last year they um, they had to address that issue and a lot of, a lot of families here don't necessarily have access to the internet at all mm-hmm. um, or yeah like, let alone a computer or a device to use so I think from what I heard teachers were because it is such a small community and this was such a blessing that they were able to do this but they were dropping physical work off in at home mm. at the student their students homes mm-hmm. um because you could just walk you know mm-hmm. half an hour to get to your student's house mm-hmm. um any of your student's house within half an hour so um yeah I think that was basically the the alternative mm. to the online portion um, with families that didn't have access to internet. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's it's such a small, tight-knit community that, and there's just the one school here um, from K all the way to, mm-hmm. to grade 12. So mm-hmm. it was it was just a given that teachers would drop work off during the school closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did families and students embrace that? Did you find that there was, um, you know, buy-in by the families that they actually, that the students wanted to engage with the work or was that an issue? Um, I wasn't here when the school was closed, so I, I haven't actually, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I can't speak mm-hmm. personally, but I think um, right. 
I think that it was a challenge to get students to complete their work for sure. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So that was probably, I mean, you'd have to, I think there was a lot of phone calls home, reminders, mm. um, that type of thing. Mm. And Wendy? I was going to say, I would think that most of our boards in Ontario and probably across Canada are dealing with the same thing. It's not equitable. So you're trying to even out the playing field for everybody. Um, I know even today, our principal and VP were handing out devices. Uh, Parents were picking Mm -hmm. up devices still, and we're into our third week now, and they still hadn't received anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And that happened again back in, in March of the previous year. So... I think everybody's dealing with that and doing the best they can. And another mm-hmm. thing, too, is the onus for a lot of these younger kids, it's now on the parents to ensure mm-hmm. that the homework is getting done or what's been assigned is getting done or helping them to do it. So, again, the workload on parents has doubled, tripled, depending on how many kids they have. Um, mm-hmm. So we're kind of looking at things getting done, again, with that, I'll take what I get and... I'll touch base occasionally, but I won't um, nag. Mm-hmm. And parents are doing the best that they can. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how are students responding to the challenges of learning in a pandemic? Um, Candice, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. So I think it's it's a big uh, widespread again. Some some of my students are doing great. They, they are thriving. They are happy that they're able to be in their own little space and they're able to um, communicate with me through chat or email. Um, a lot of times students, at least in secondary, are choosing to leave their cameras off, which is completely fine. But also some of them choose to leave their microphones muted and they only communicate through me through text, um, which mm. is okay too, whatever their comfort level is. So some of them are doing... Uh, I would say really well, all things considered. Um, There are other students, however, that are just uh, struggling and they really um, need that extra support, that extra prompt to stay on task. Um, uh, Conversations that happen naturally in the classroom aren't able to happen or they don't feel confident enough to do that from distance learning. And so it's been quite a challenge to support those students or to know how to engage them if they don't have someone physically with them prompting. So I think that has mm-hmm. been a challenge for sure. And Wendy, how, how are you finding that students are responding to the challenges of learning in the pandemic? Uh, they're responding. They're, they're doing what they have to do. Um, the distancing when we were in school, difficult, constant reminders, like constant, it just never stops. Um, is it done perfectly? Absolutely not. Uh, kids were really good about wearing their masks. We'll see when we go back how the ones to threes do with masks on uh, because that wasn't uh, something that had to be done. That's going to be new. Um, for the most part, they were adjusting pretty good. Uh, with virtual, how are they adjusting? I kind of do a check-in with each of my classes every day. Thumbs up, thumbs down, happy face, frowny face. What, uh, how are you feeling today? How are things going? And for the most part, the kids are, are upbeat. They don't, it's not their preferred way of learning, but they're, they're doing it. What insights do you think this experience has given you about education? While I might have thought I was techy and well-prepared, I wasn't. 
Um, and it's made me, I think it's made me realize that I got uh, probably a little complacent in what I was teaching. Um, and again, what I was teaching was pretty exciting for me because I was always willing to try and do new things. Um, but none of those types of things are helping me with what I'm doing right now. Um, I've learned that you it's okay to just let it go and not stress the small details all the time um, just for your own sanity. Um, I don't know. There's probably a lot more. If you're, if you're asking specifically curriculum-wise, sometimes you just have to let the curriculum go a little bit too. Um, you know, it's, it's again, um, as somebody else had said earlier, it's about gauging your classroom um, what your students are going through, trying to bring yourself to their level and, and wade through it together. Thank you. And Candace, what, what insights do you think this experience has given you about education? Well, I really like what Wendy said about just giving yourself permission. It's okay to just let some things go sometimes, whether it's, it's the curriculum, you know, I have to get through this much content by this amount of time or, um, you know, certain things that I have to accomplish today. Sometimes it's, it's okay just to chat or have fun or let go. Um, because, because if we're feeling stressed, then certainly our learners are probably feeling stressed too. And, and we can help to set the tone to, to look for positives in this kind of stressful time and, and new time. And so, um, I think that's, that's really important, just being in tune, as Wendy said, to our learners and what they're going through. And, and just, it's okay to laugh and just laugh at that it didn't go as, as planned. I think that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. And um, I think also, too, that I, I've come to learn that there are a variety mm-hmm. of skill sets um, and, and different levels of abilities, not only in my learners, I think we're always aware of that, but just that they're able to shine mm-hmm. in new ways that maybe our traditional classroom um, activities and, mm-hmm. and learning assessments um, didn't provide before. So because I don't know what's happening in all boards, but in our board, we are not doing final exams this year or we don't have to do final exams. Mm-hmm. And in my own practice, I often felt like um, uh, tests, uh, formal tests, we're really only servicing one kind of learner. And I felt compelled to do tests in my courses because there were final exams Mm -hmm. and I wanted them to be prepared. And now that we don't have final exams, Mm -hmm. I've done away with all formal testing. And all of my assessments are are assignment-based and I'm loving it and they're loving it. And it's just allowed me to kind of let go of, of what I think is expected and really explore that. And I think it's been great for the kids. And also recognizing that there's a variety of skill sets among staff and not everyone is is at the same level. Some of us are coming to online learning brand new and, and never having um, explored that in our face-to-face classrooms. And uh, so I'm, I, I'm seeing, what I'm seeing, what I'm witnessing is that we are a real community and we've been able to help one another out. And I think that's awesome. It really speaks to the nature of teaching, which is that it's collaboration and learning together and sharing with one another. So I've, I've really enjoyed watching that happen. And then I think lastly, just resiliency. I've been so impressed with the resiliency of my students. 
uh, with the resiliency of my colleagues. It's taught me to be more resilient. I, I have three kids of my own that are in elementary and they've been so resilient. So I think that probably for me is, is the most hopeful that we will get through it. And there are some positives to take out of it. And, and we will maybe come out of this being more resilient people than we were going in. And that will just serve us positively going forward. I hope. I am Mary McDonald. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and check out our Root and Stem publication at pingua.com.